Prema Vahini Chapter 13 The Need for Sanatana Vidya Have not men trained themselves in countless arts and skills and sciences? Have they not devised countless machines? Have they not accumulated vast tons of knowledge? Nevertheless, man has not attained peace of mind, which is so essential for happiness. Instead, with every passing day, this vidya, this learning, is dragging man into deeper and deeper waters, and peace is receding more and more into the distance. Why? The reason can be stated thus. These arts and sciences have only transitory value. These machines cater to worldly comfort. This knowledge is all about temporary transitory things. This vidya or this learning does not reveal to one the innermost secret of the universe. There is one secret which if known lays bare all secrets. If that problem is solved, all problems are solved. There is one knot, which if untied, all knots are loosened. There is one science, which if mastered, all are mastered. That key science is Sanatana Vidya, the ancient wisdom. If a tree has to be destroyed, its taproot has to be cut. There is no use trying to kill it by plucking its leaves one by one. It takes too long a time. Besides, it may not work. The ancient Vedic seers knew this Vidya but Indians are getting ashamed to claim them as their kith and kin. They saw God through their ascetic endeavors and won His grace. They expounded the science which they so boldly discovered. Seekers from other countries perused these books and said that India had blazed a trail for the whole world. This is a well-known fact. The lamp illumines the house, but just at the very foot of the lamp there lurks a dark circle. India does not know or care for that treasure. Can we ascribe this to the play of fate and keep quiet? In the past ages Indians performed their daily rites sat in a purified place surrounded by sacredness, and immersed themselves in the study and the practice of the teachings of the Vedas and the Upanishads. Besides, they recorded their experiences in order to guide others, and in order to bring those experiences back again into their own consciousness. But their children and grandchildren placed those books on the altar and duly worshipped them. 
Neglect has reduced them to dust or lumber. The palm leaves have disintegrated and rats have eaten into them. But eager students from the West have sought out this lumber and realizing that it enshrines incomparable sources of illumination and priceless pearls of wisdom, they lift it reverentially above their heads and acclaim it as the precious gift of Bharat to themselves and their children. They carry it across the seas with joy in their eyes and thankfulness in their hearts. Now, Shall I reveal what the children of India have been doing? They neither open the pages, nor peruse the contents, nor even concern themselves about them. Only one in a million reads them, but even he is ridiculed as a fool and as a crank. The books are laughed at as a conglomeration of lies and legends and they argue about the historicity of the books and their authors. They dismiss the Sanskrit language as very hard to learn, and pass on the treasure to scholars from other lands. What a sad spectacle is this! It would have been some compensation if they attended carefully to the study of their mother tongue, but even this they do not do. It is neglect, neglect everywhere. No, I do not condemn worldly happiness. I feel glad when people are happy. But please do not believe that this happiness is permanent. I want that you should study all the arts and sciences for acquiring worldly happiness. But I want all to remember that this happiness is not everlasting. Permanent happiness can be secured only through one vidya, the Upanishad vidya. That is the science of God-realization, that is the teaching of the rishis. That alone can save man and grant him peace. There is nothing higher than that. This is an indisputable fact. Whatever your joy and sorrow, whatever the subject you have specialized in for a living, have your eyes riveted on Brahmavidya, the science of God-realization. If intelligence alone is sharpened without the growth and practice of virtues, and if mere information is stored in the brain, the world cannot progress and its welfare will be in jeopardy. But people now seem to be losing faith in virtues, for the educational system does not assign any place for spiritual teaching or training. True education does not mar or pervert the beautiful virtues of boys and girls. It does not content itself with filling the brain with cumbersome junk. That education alone is beneficial, which gives full scope for the blossoming of all the virtues which distinguish man.
Prema Vahini, Chapter 14 The Objective World is Not Real Actually, men see the shadow and take it to be the substance. They see length, breadth, height and thickness and they jump to the conclusion that they have an object before them. They experience a series of sensations and memories and adding them all up, they infer that there are some objects producing them. This mistaking of appearance for reality is misnamed jnana. How can it ever be jnana? Can the image of a person ever be he? If the image is taken to be he, can we call it knowledge? Such is the nature of all knowledge now that what is cognized as an object is not real at all. Its reality is not cognizable. The Advaitin, the non-dualist, believes Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. How has he acquired that conviction? Why does he state so? Ask him and the reply is, the Shruti declares so. The Guru teaches us like that. But learning it from these sources does not entitle him to make that profound statement. If a person is a master of these three words, Aham, I am, Brahma, the creator, and Asmi, the process of merging or union, does he attain the unity with Brahman? No. Ceaseless striving through countless births, loyal performance of scriptural duties, these purify the mind. In such a mind, seeds of devotion sprout, and when tended with care and knowledge, flowers bloom, fruits appear and ripen and get filled with sweetness and fragrance. When the fruit is eaten, man becomes one with the Supreme. The power that permeates all things, all regions, and which is eternally present and conscious and blissful. A person may enunciate the formula, Aham Brahmasmi, correctly. His etymology may be perfect. But when he is ignorant of the world, unaware of I, and completely in the dark about Brahman, can he ever taste the rare joy of a jnani, a liberated person? It is not mastery of words and their meanings that counts. It is awareness, experience. These are the fundamentals. Clay alone is real. The pot consciousness is born of ignorance regarding clay. Clay is the basis, the substance of the pot. How can a pot exist without clay? How can effect exist apart from the cause? The world appears as multiplicity only to the ignorant. To a jnani, Brahmam alone, Brahmam upon which all else is superimposed exists. The Atman alone is cognized by him. There is nothing else. That is the Advaitic experience.
If the world is real, it must be cognized even during the stage of dreamless deep sleep. But we are not conscious of it at all. So the visible world is as unreal as the dream world. Just as through illusion a snake is superimposed on a rope, the world too is imposed on Brahman. The snake and the rope are not seen at the same time. The entire rope is the snake. So too, Brahman is all this world, all this vast variety of name and form. But this imaginatively conceived variety is fundamentally false. Brahman alone is true. The sky might be reflected in a pot of toddy, but the toddy does not defile it. Similarly, in this vehicle, the body, the Atman dwells pure and undefiled. The fruits of action, good or bad, fair or foul, adhere to the vehicle, not to the indweller, the seer. When such jnana dawns, the dark shadows of the three types of karma flee before it. The agama, karma of the future, the sanchita, karma of the past, the prarabdha, karma that we are presently undergoing. Yes, even prarabdha karma can be overcome. For the will of God is omnipotent. And for omnipotence there can be no limit or exception. When through sadhana or spiritual practice you win the sankalpa, the resolve of the Lord, you can with that sankalpa achieve victory over prarabdha also. Do not be discouraged on any score. The suffering and travails of this world are illusory and transitory. Fix your mind firmly on this great fact and set out bravely on the path of sadhana, the sadhana of devotion. Premavahini Chapter 15 Life is a journey depending on samskaras. Men are immersed in many activities and they are engaged in various undertakings. This is a well-known fact. They are so many in number that sometimes one may feel that the span of 24 hours is too short for his daily activity. Drinking, eating, reading, walking, sitting, and besides, dreaming, hating, boasting, praising, weeping, laughing, moping, hoping, all types of activities go on without end. They fill up the span of life. These activities are all intimately attached to the mind. This makes life a mere collection of samskaras, worldly existence, flux, which makes an impact on character and personality. There are two types of activities, good and bad. The effect of both on the life of man has to be considered. The acts of a boy during that tender age fade away like the writing of that boy on slate. 
When the events of one's own boyhood are thus consigned to oblivion, how can the events of the past life be retained in the memory? Leaving this point aside, it will be wrong to infer that only such events as are remembered have happened or have shaped character. The acts and activities that have transpired and that have been thrust back into forgetfulness by subsequent events have left a trace of their consequences in the mind. The residue is there. When you try to bring back to memory at bedtime the events of the day, everything that happened from the insignificant to the significant will not answer the summons. Only those which are meaningful, those which are deeply embedded inside, these alone can be recalled. When such is the case with the happenings of a single day, when we forget all events that are not associated with joy or pain, what can be said of the events of last week or month or years? Only the chief events are registered clearly. The rest turn hazy and recede and disappear. These few are the samskaras. Performing innumerable deeds, gathering vast experience and knowledge, learning a wide variety of lessons from a wide variety of activities, man retains as his capital only a mere four or five of them. Strong, deep-rooted, vital. Premavaini Chapter 16 Engrossed in the business of life, man earns just these samskaras. A merchant calculates the debit and credit at the end of a week or month or year, and draws up the balance sheet to arrive at one figure, his earnings. So too, in this business of life, everything ends in some bit of net earnings after all the giving and taking concludes. At the very end of life, it is this small quantity that will come into the memory. Those experiences that persist to the very last moment, the two or three that well up into consciousness when one recalls all that has happened in life, these are the real sustainers, the genuine achievements. This does not mean that all other acts and all other experiences have been a waste. Forgetting them means only that their work has been accomplished and their value realized. When business is done with thousands of rupees, one's heart freezes if a loss of a few thousands is sustained. The heart leaps in joy when a few thousands are gained. Such is the story of the business of life. If at the point of death one yearns to cater to the tongue, it is proof that throughout life the tongue has been the master. If at the point of death the woman remembers the child and seeks to fondle it, the samskara of child love has been predominant all through life. It proves that all other experiences have been thrown into oblivion. Thus, 
of the samskaras of life, some one or other, stronger than the rest, stands out to the last. Life is like that. This has to be learnt. The net result of all this living and toiling is that which comes to memory at the last moment of life. Therefore, direct the entire current of life towards the acquisition of that samskara which you feel best for the last moment. Fix your attention upon it day and night. The feeling that dominates the moment of death works with great force in the coming life. This truth must guide man for the journey of this life too, for samskaras are the wherewithal for this journey as well as for the journey after this. Therefore from tomorrow, keep always before the eye of memory, death which is inevitable and engage yourself in the journey of life, with good wishes for all, with strict adherence to truth, seeking always the company of the good, and with a mind always fixed on the Lord. Live avoiding evil deeds and hateful and harmful thoughts, and do not get attached to the world. If you live thus, your last moment will be pure, sweet and blessed. Discipline striving throughout life is needed to ensure this consummation. The mind has to be turned over to good samskaras. Everyone must examine himself rigorously and spot out his defects and struggle to correct them. When man realizes his own defects and uncovers them, it is like being reborn. He then starts anew from a new boyhood. This is the genuine moment of awakening. Life is eternally stalked by death. But yet, man does not tolerate the very mention of the word death. It is deemed inauspicious to hear that word. Though, however insufferable the word, every living thing is every moment proceeding nearer and nearer to that event. Intent on a journey and having purchased a ticket for the same, if you enter a train, whether you sit quiet or lie down or read or meditate, the train takes you willy-nilly to the destination. So too, each living thing has at birth received a ticket to death and has come on a journey. So whatever your struggles and safeguards and precautions, the place has to be reached some day. Whatever is uncertain, death is certain. It is impossible to change that law. Man has taught the eye, the ear and the tongue the luxury of constant novelty. Now he has to teach them the opposite tendencies. The mind has to be turned towards the good 
the activities of every minute have to be examined from that standpoint. Each such deed is the stroke of a chisel by which the rock of human personality is being shaped. One wrong stroke may spoil and disfigure the rock. Therefore even the tiniest of acts has to be done with great care and devotion. For a drowning man, even a reed is some support. So too, to a person struggling in the sea of samskara, a few good words spoken by someone might be of great help. No good deed can go to waste. No, not even a bad deed, for that too has its consequence. So strive to avoid the slightest trace of evil activity. Keep your eyes pure. Fill your ears with the words of God and the stories of godly deeds. Do not allow them to listen to calumny. Use the tongue for uttering good words and kind and true words. Let it always remind you of God. Such constant effort must grant you victory. It is to earn these holy samskaras that one has to maintain the flow of high thoughts and feelings uninterrupted. The hand should be used to perform good deeds. Have the Lord's name within and the practice of swadharma without, that is, one's natural duties. With the hand busy with seva, let your mind be engrossed in all this, there is no harm. When the rains pour on the mountain peaks and the water hurries down the sides, no river emerges therefrom. When, however, the waters flow in a single direction, first a brook, then a stream, then a torrent, finally a flooded river is formed and the rains reach the sea. Water that runs in one direction reaches the sea. Water flowing in four directions gets soaked and lost. Samskaras are of this type. Of what use are they if they merely come and go this way today and that way the next? The holy stream of good samskaras must flow full and steady along the field of holy thoughts. And finally abide in the great ocean of bliss at the moment of death. Worthy indeed is he who reaches such a goal. Twenty hammer strokes might not succeed in breaking a stone. The twenty-first stroke might break it. But does this mean that the twenty blows were of no avail? No. Each of those twenty strokes contributed its share to the final success. The final result was the cumulative effect of all the twenty-one. So too, the mind is engaged in a struggle with the world, both internal and external. Needless to say, success might not always be your lot. But man can attain everlasting bliss by getting immersed in good works and by saturating the mind with the love of God. Infuse every moment of life with that love.
then evil tendencies dare not hamper the path. Since his mind ever dwells with the Lord, he will be drawn automatically towards good deeds only. The object of all sadhana is the destruction of the mind, and some day, some one good deed will succeed in destroying it, just as the twenty-first blow broke the stone. For this triumph, all the good deeds done in the past have contributed. Each little thing counts. No good deed is a waste. While struggling in the spiritual field, you should take on Parameshwara himself as your protector. To instill courage in the child, the mother persuades it to walk a few steps and turn about, but she will not allow it to fall. If it totters and is about to lose balance, she hurries from behind it and catches it ere it falls. Ishwara too has his eyes fixed on the jivi. He has in his hand the string of the kite which is man. Sometimes he may give it a pull, sometimes he may loosen the hold. But whatever he does, be confident and carefree, for it is he that holds the string. That faith ever present, that feeling hardening into a samskara, will fill you with prema rasa, the flavor, the essence of love. The string is the bond of love and grace. The kite or jivi is thus bound to Ishvara. You must do and earn auspicious samskaras in order that the bond of love and grace may exist and get tightened. The samskaras make or mar the jivi. They are the steps which take all jivis to the goal. Samskaras make the jivi wade through loss and grief. Through good samskaras alone can man attain the Lord. So every jivi has to be wholly engaged in satkarma, good works. Satkarma is the authentic puja. It is the best form of remembering the Lord. It is the highest bhajan. It spreads love without distinction and difference. It is service done as the duty of the jivi. Be engaged in such karmas. Revel uninterruptedly in the thought of the Lord. This is the royal road to the goal you have to reach.